If your toddler has been diagnosed with autism or is waiting for a diagnosis, you're going to want to pay attention for the next 60 seconds. Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Happy Ladders includes activities that target 150 essential developmental skills every toddler needs, as well as assessments in four different developmental areas. There's also an exclusive community of parents just like you and professional coaching to ensure success for both you and your toddler. To learn more, get a free trial, and take advantage of an exclusive limited-time offer for my listeners, visit happyladders.com. That's H-A-P-P-Y-L-A-D-D-E-R-S. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership. Plus, get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the Tantrums and Meltdown mini course. This is a limited time offer, so act now. If your toddler has been diagnosed with autism or is waiting for a diagnosis, you're going to want to pay attention for the next 60 seconds. Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Happy Ladders includes activities that target 150 essential developmental skills every toddler needs, as well as assessments in four different developmental areas. There's also an exclusive community of parents just like you and professional coaching to ensure success for both you and your toddler. To learn more, get a free trial, and take advantage of an exclusive limited-time offer for my listeners, visit happyladders.com. That's H-A-P-P-Y-L-A-D-D-E-R-S. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership. Plus, get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the Tantrums and Meltdown mini course. This is a limited-time offer, so act now. Welcome back to the Autism Dad podcast. I'm Rob Gorski. Today, my guest is Eric Rittenhouse. Eric is an autism dad. He is a father to two autistic kids, and he's here to talk to us about his journey and his experiences being an autism dad. He has, well, I didn't know Eric prior to the interview, which I'll play for you guys in a minute, uh, but I have a lot of insights into his life currently, now, obviously, and and he's just an awesome guy, and I really I really admire his his attitude and his outlook at life and his approach to special needs parenting. I've been doing this a really long time and there's a lot of things that I, I, I find myself handling differently than I did when uh, I first started out and, and listening to Eric describe his life and his journey and his experiences has sort of inspired me to try and go back to my roots a little bit with my own kids and, and focus on things that I'm not maybe paying as much attention to anymore. So I really encourage you guys to stick around and listen to this. I, I, I hope that it inspires other dads to come uh, on the show and, and talk about their experiences. Mom's the same way. You know, you're always welcome. I want to talk to anybody who wants to talk about their journey and share their experience. Uh, for right now, I'll have Eric Rittenhouse for you in just a minute. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. And we're back and we're doing another parent to parent episode or whatever. I'm going to end up calling this at some point. I still haven't figured that part out. I have Eric Rittenhouse with us today. And he's going to talk to us about his life and his journey and just his experience as a special needs parent. Just to be clear, like I, I haven't spoken with him aside from when we logged on, I don't really know anything about him. And uh, we're going to kind of have this organic conversation and see where it goes. So Eric, thank you very much for taking the time to come on the show. I really appreciate it. 
thanks for having me on. <laughs> how are you? How are you guys doing? Well, where are you, where are you at? You're in. Well, I'm in Michigan, Michigan, not far from Kalamazoo. How are you guys doing in in Michigan? Right uh, now? We're doing pretty good. Um, we live in a pretty rural county, so everything's been fairly decent as far as COVID related stuff. Um, our infection rate or whatever was up over like 10% there for a while, but it's finally coming down. So, oh, that's cool. um, I work in a nursing home so we can, um, we don't get tested twice a week. Now we only get tested once. Have you been able to get the vaccine? Uh, yeah, yeah, I have, um, everybody in our nursing home got the opportunity to get it staff and residents. Mm -hmm. The majority of us took it. It was kind of cool because they did it in three clinics. So if you didn't get it the first time, the second time you could get your first shot and then they're going to do one more clinic. So everybody else could get it. Everybody caught up. Yeah. Did you do okay with it? Yeah. Yeah. I did uh fairly decent. Um, the first shot, I had like a slight headache. The second shot, um, it took like a day for me to feel kind of gross. Um, but it just lasted a few hours and woke up the next morning feeling pretty good. So that's good. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm married. We've been married for um, 12 years. Wow. And uh, we have two kids. Um, our oldest is seven, um, Xavier. And then our youngest, Vincent, is four. They're both on the autism spectrum. Um, Xavier is what they called level three autistic. And uh, Vinny is level two. And they both go to the uh, developmental school uh, here in our county. Mm -hmm. And at first, I was like really put off by that. Like, no, I want my kids to go to a normal school and and be integrated. And um, now I'm really glad that they kind of started there because they've helped us find many more resources than because uh, Xavier first started in a just a early childhood classroom at our local elementary school. And he did really great there. And then they moved us over here and they just know so much more things to help us out. Uh, so it's been quite the journey. My oldest was diagnosed in 2005 and my other two were diagnosed. And I think it was like 2010 ish, somewhere in there. They were, they were both diagnosed about the same time and they presented very differently than their older brother. So we didn't pick up on it right away because we kind of were accustomed to what autism was for him. They presented so differently that we it would never have occurred to us that they were on the spectrum as well. Did you guys have a hard time? Well, let me ask you this. How did you know or what made you think that like a uh, evaluation was needed? Years ago, I worked for a company called Mocha and we worked with uh, people with different disabilities. Um, so I'd worked with a few people with autism uh, from various ages. And when Xavier was born, um, by the time he got to nine months, he wasn't really moving very much. Like he'd roll occasionally. He kind of started this whole thing where he'd kind of scoot along on his butt, but he wouldn't really walk. Um, so they got us into PT and uh, early on through uh, Michigan. And he really didn't start. Um, he just kept falling further and further behind. And so I started questioning, do you guys think it could be autism? And they're like, no, no, that's that's not it. So I think by the time he got to, I think it was like three years old, um, the early on educators and helpers started to question if it could be autism. And then uh, Xavier really likes to hold his ears anytime he's around noise. 
So uh, we would take him to the doctor quite a bit, thinking maybe he had uh, ear, ear infections because yeah. he would get them quite a bit. And finally, one doctor looks at me and says, well, do you think it could be autism? And half of me was like, oh, my God, here it is. And I kind of wanted to cry a little bit. And then the other part of me was like, finally, somebody's, you know, got a hold of this and listening because I had thought for a while that could be it. My wife kind of wanted to push it off for a while. She's like, no, no. But we finally were able to get him into Helen DeVos Children's Hospital and they did the uh exam when we're i think we were there for like four hours and he met with the psychiatrist and the doctor and the uh ot and speech and they finally gave us a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder level three see like i've been well i've been autism parent for 20 years now they never they never did anything they, they, they never they never assigned a level to it so for for us it was he was and he, he was either an Aspie or he was autistic because they, they kind of broke those two up a little bit. It was like high functioning or low functioning. And so I have no, I, I don't even know what the levels mean, to be honest with you. I probably should, but it never applied to us. What is level three? So level three, they said was moderate to severe. Okay. So he was pretty much, um, he still is pretty much nonverbal. He okay. has uh, some words especially cookie and juice. There you go. Um, yeah. And Kindle. Gotta, gotta have that Kindle. He's getting more and more words um, as we go on, um, especially he mimics us quite a bit, which mm -hmm. can be kind of awful sometimes. <laughs> 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 We've learned that we have to start watching what we watch because he's picking up on everything. <laughs> Luckily, we haven't gotten that call from school yet that he said anything he shouldn't. But <laughs> you know, um, I can totally. Yeah, so he was pretty. That. He was pretty much nonverbal up until I think he really just started talking when he uh, was about five and a half, more towards six. He had a pretty extensive vocabulary for a two-year-old um, up until he was like. He was like two and a half. And then one day he just stopped talking, which was another thing that made me think, what is going on? Because, you know, he would say mommy and daddy and there's a couple other words that he had and then just totally stopped talking. Our younger, yeah, our youngest uh, son, he was level two, which I think they said is like moderate. He's a little higher functioning than Xavier. Um, he can, he has a pretty extensive vocabulary for the most part he's still kind of learning to speak he's only four mm -hmm. um but uh xavier i think the biggest part of it was the nonverbal, and he didn't learn how to walk till he was two and a half almost three and he just one day decided okay i'm going to do this we looked in the living room and he's standing up and taking <laughs> steps and we're like what where did you learn that at <laughs> that's my uh my youngest was I think if the, we had had a leveling system back then, he would have probably been diagnosed with a level three. He didn't respond to sound. Uh, and so we went through all the testing to find out if he could actually hear. And then he, he failed all the hearing screenings because like they, they do sort of really elaborate stuff in like a sound room because they'll track like his eye movement to see if there's any reaction to sound. And he failed all of that. And then they did the ABR test where they put electrodes on his head and they sedate him and then they play sound and then they just see if your brain is processing the sound, which means it's hearing it. And he passed it with flying colors and the nurse was like, oh, he's probably just autistic. That was a serious blow in that moment. 
uh, because you're going there thinking you're prepared for him to be hearing impaired. And then we had already talked about, you know, do we do cochlear implants or, I mean, like, I don't know what, I don't know what we're supposed to do for this stuff. We were learning sign language. Turns out he was just ignoring us like the whole time. He just ignored us. He tuned everything out and he was, he was nonverbal for probably about the first four years of his life. He talked in, they were kind of like musical tones. Most of the time when he would try and communicate with you, it was actually really soothing to listen to unless he was upset. Uh, and then it was very unpleasant. But then one day at like four, he just started talking like he'd been talking his whole life. I mean, he had absorbed everything and just wasn't ready to like come out of his shell. Now he never stops talking. He is, he's very social. You almost wouldn't know that he was on the spectrum at this point. If you didn't know that he was on a spectrum, like you would probably pick it out uh, as a parent, but most people probably wouldn't notice. They would see some kind of quirkiness and uh, he's very sensory oriented. So he exists in shorts and no shirt and no socks. And that's about it. And I get him in a shirt for class because he's doing remote learning. And outside of that, it's just like sun's out, guns out all the time. So (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like my youngest. The second he comes home, pants go off, Yep. shoes, socks, he'll walk around in his shirt and his diaper until I'm making change. Yeah. And I I guess like, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I try not to push them beyond what they're capable of. Right. Because I think at some point you reach a, you reach a point where like their sensory, they're dealing with sensory issues. That's not their fault. They have no control over that. And they may be experiencing real pain, right? There's a visceral reaction, but in life, there's going to be times where you have to wear clothes. I mean, you just, you just have to, uh, there's legal reasons for one. And, and then there's school. You can't go to school without clothes on. I mean, there's all these things. And so, you know, I challenge them a little bit at a time and just, Hey, can you just wear it until lunchtime or wear it during lunch or just wear your shirt while you're in class? Just give me that because <laughs> like, otherwise he's like wrapped in a blanket with his head sticking out and, uh, it's like, Oh, come on, man. Like it just, but it's like normal. Like I, I don't know anything else. So it just, it's, it's, it's funny. I, I find humor in it because otherwise it would be stressful. Are your kids very sensory oriented? Yeah. Uh, my oldest, he's very sensitive, especially to sounds. And when he eats, he has to touch everything to his lips before he'll put it in his mouth. Unless it's something like that he's eaten before and he can recognize it, then he'll just eat it. But if it's something new, he has to touch it to his mouth, touch it to his hand, and then he'll kind of touch it to his tongue and then he'll finally start eating it. Does he pretty willingly try new foods? Uh, For the most part, there's some stuff he'll come up and he'll kind of smell of it and be like, nah, I ain't doing that. (laughs) And then like for the longest time, we couldn't get him to eat mashed potatoes. And then just one day he goes up to my mom, opens up his mouth and she's like, okay, puts the spoon in and uh, hey, he eats mashed potatoes. (laughs) Okay. Does he have to have um, like items separated on his plate or does he mind if they touch? He doesn't, he doesn't really care if they touch and he is a wanderer when he comes, when it comes to eating, Mm. you know, we kind of, we have to set the plate in the living room and he'll grab a piece and just kind of walk around and eat and then come back. Um, Occasionally he'll sit at a table, but for the most part, he just kind of wanders around while he eats. We used to call my kids grazers because they would just like stop by and grab something and then they would kind of go off and they would, they would eat it. If we tried to sit them down at the table, it was, it was a battle. And to this day, we, we've gotten into the habit of just, we just didn't sit down and eat at the table because it was, there was just no way to make it work. And it was just a constant battle. And then they wouldn't eat. Uh, <laughs> 
And, and so now they're 12 and 14 and my oldest is 21 and it's whatever it is to make it work. Yes. And I think, I, I don't know. I kind of feel bad about that to some extent. Cause like, I remember eating dinner as a family when I was a kid and, and that was kind of like a, I mean, I, I guess I, I didn't really care too much for it when I was a kid, but like now I recognize how positive that was. And I, and I'm yeah. struggling to give that to my kids. Do you, do you ever find yourself in positions like that where you wish you could do things a certain way, but like, it's just not, not going to happen. Oh, absolutely. Like Christmas every year has been kind of a struggle for me because I remember, you know, being a kid, being so excited to open up presents and my kids really could care less. Um, my youngest this year actually got interested in opening presents. So he'll, we actually had a hard time keeping him away from stuff, uh, before Christmas. So we had to hide things, but, um, my oldest really wants nothing to do with any of that. We can kind of get him to sit there and do it. If we start to open it, he'll kind of rip at it because he likes the sound. Um, uh, but I think that's one of my biggest struggles is some of the stuff that, you know, I remember doing as a kid or I see other parents doing with their kids and my kids just don't really care to do it. How did you like dads? It's so cool that you're, you're, you're here and you're talking about this. Cause one of my things I'm trying to get done this year is to try and encourage more dads to talk about what, what they're going through because a lot of people just, they just don't feel comfortable talking about it. When you went through the diagnosis the first time, when you heard that it was autism, like how, like in that moment, what did it feel like? Um, part scared, part excited. Cause I was just kind of finally happy that I felt like somebody was actually listening. Like you're seeing the same stuff I'm That's seeing. True. And I think a lot of it also had to do with like when I worked for Mocha, I would see little similarities between my son and some of the other people that I worked with then. Mm -hmm. And I just kept thinking, you know, I know this is what it's got to be. And it just took one doctor finally to start listening. Cause at first with my oldest, they thought maybe he had cerebral palsy because my wife had a difficult labor with him. She, uh, went in on New Year's Eve of 2013 thinking she was just there for a regular appointment, hoping that she would get some relief for being sick. And she found out she was in labor, had the flu and pneumonia, Ooh. was running high fevers and the whole nine yards. So when we first started really digging into what was going on with him, they thought maybe he had cerebral palsy. So at, I think it was his first birthday it was a couple of days before his first birthday we took him in so they could do a, a mri scared the crap out of us because they had to put him out put him under you know we're thinking oh god he's a year old they're gonna give him this anesthetic who knows what could happen yeah um had the mri and everything turned out fine so okay crap here we are back to the drawing board and then you know took him to the doctor when i thought he had an ear infection that one time. And she's like, I think he's autistic. I'm like, thank you for finally somebody listening and actually wanting to dig into that. So you, you were, you felt kind of validated. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Right. When my oldest was diagnosed, I had seen rain man. And that is the extent of my understanding of what autism was. And when my oldest was diagnosed, he was about five years old. Like I broke down because I had no idea what it meant. I just knew that it meant that he was going to face a lot of challenges. 
And that was, that was hard for me as a dad to know that he might struggle throughout his life or at least part of his life. And, and then we got used to what autism was for him. And then when my youngest two were born, we didn't, they, I mean, there were some oddities and stuff, but they didn't, they didn't have the same struggles that Gavin did. And so we just sort of wrote it off as, you know, everything's normal. This must just be what having a normal, like, not normal. I don't mean to say it like that, but like, it must be our only frame of reference was a very aggressive, you know, a, a kid who struggled in every aspect of his life. That was our, that was our frame of reference. And so when the other two came along, they didn't have any of those challenges. And so we just thought, okay, so we have, you know, Gavin who's autistic and these are our typical kids. H however you want to say it without offending somebody, but I probably will. So sorry, I don't mean it that way. Um, <laughs> so we didn't, it never registered to us. It wasn't even on our radar that they could be autistic because they just behaved so differently than their brother did. And when, when we found out, I, I, I cried for each one of those diagnoses because I felt like I should have, I should have seen it. I should have recognized it. I should have gotten them help sooner. You know, and it's, so it, it is a very emotional thing for multiple reasons. And I understand where you're coming from with feeling validated because you, you have suspected something because you had experience in that field. Yeah. And, and yeah. so you were able to pick up on things that other people were missing. Someone finally tells you something without you having to bring it to them. That's got to feel like, oh my God, finally, because then it opens up doors for services and, and additional help to help them. Uh, with like early intervention, which I think is, is that early on? Is that early intervention? Yeah. 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 Early on is the early intervention program here in Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. And I, with my youngest, when we started going through the process of getting him diagnosed, I think I was more, I was more emotional with his uh, just because I guess I was coming from it from a perspective of, Oh God, what did we do? You know, we have two kids that are on the spectrum. Uh, what could have we had done differently? And if if we decide we want to have another kid, you know, will will this just keep happening? And so I was I was a little more down with that one. Um, and then you know, eventually one day, just decided that we're pretty lucky as far as both of our kids were able to get the diagnosis early. Mm -hmm. uh, Xavier was three. Vinny also was three. Um, that is and with early. Vinny, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Xavier, like, I'm pretty sure everybody just knew. Uh, mm -hmm. He presented pretty, I guess, well or whatever uh, when it comes to autism. Um, with Vinny, I wasn't as sure. I thought, okay, we're going to go to this uh, screening. We're going to be there for the four hours and then come out of it with nothing. And when we got to the last doctor, which was the psychiatrist, he's going through watching him play and all that. And he looks right at us and goes, no, he's, he's on the spectrum. And I'm just thinking, really? Yeah. Well, because he didn't present like Xavier did. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's one of the biggest things that most people don't know is just because you're just because you think somebody's autistic, they all don't fit the same criteria. Everybody can present differently. Everybody none of my kids present the same way. And so it's hard for people to wrap their heads around. They're all autistic. They don't act the same. It's not a cookie cutter diagnosis. No, there, there's overlap. You know, there's sensory issues that they all struggle with. There are, um, you know, things like that, but anxiety is, is one. I think that they is kind of a, 
universal struggle for my kids. But if you thought autism was what my oldest had and you didn't understand how different it could be for different people, you wouldn't think my other two were on the spectrum. I mean, just, it's just kind of the way it is. I think that's why it's so hard for people to kind of grasp what autism is and what it's like and how it impacts people because it, no two people are the same, just like anybody else. Has being a special needs dad impacted your life one way or the other? Like, has it changed you in a way or? Um, yes and no. Like, I guess because I work in a nursing home, I'm an activity director. Uh, so I'm around the elderly and Alzheimer's patients all day. Plus working at MOCA, I guess I've kind of set myself up to be able to be a special needs parent if mm -hmm. there is such a thing. Um, but there are like some social aspects where when, before we had kids, my wife and I would average anywhere between 12 and 20 concerts a year. And oh, wow. then, uh, you know, when we had kids, you know, you know that when you have kids, it's going to change everything, but we're a little more protective, I guess, uh, of how often we're not around our kids. Mm -hmm. So we don't go out to concerts and stuff as much as we used to, um, especially with COVID now. But I think socially has been the biggest thing. Like a lot of our friends try to be as understanding as possible. We're really lucky because uh, my best friend lives upstairs from us and we have another good friend that lives down the road and they try to learn as much as they possibly can. Um, That's cool. So that way they can be around our kids and it's great because uh, when my one friend comes downstairs uh, once a week, my youngest crawls all over him and he just lets him do it. Just sits there and, and you know, he gets it. Uh, other people, when he just loves to be around people for whatever reason and uh, he wants to crawl all over everybody, not everybody wants that. Yeah. So trying to get him to understand that. but Like boundaries almost. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He has a huge boundary issue my <laughs> oldest really doesn't want to be around anybody he would much rather be walking around with his kindle listening mm -hmm. to that but um you know uh so i i mean socially has been the biggest thing but at the same time we have a pretty good support system that they try to work with us and with the kids so it's not been too horrible so you have a support system like family or yeah, absolutely. My parents, um, my wife and I both work. Uh, so um, my kids go to sit at my uh, parents' house when they're not in school. And right now they're only going two days a week mm -hmm. with uh, everything COVID going on. So they go there and it's, it's pretty great because my sister and her kids come over quite a bit throughout the week. So my kids are getting that social aspect mm -hmm. that um the other kids are kind of teaching them different things and my nieces and nephews have been great because they range from 15 to i think my youngest is like nine months and they all want to be around my kids and they that's cool yeah, I mean, yeah, it's really cool. Like, especially my sister's kids, they'll grab them and say, okay, come on, we're going to go over here and do this. Um, Xavier really doesn't care for that. Vinny's more into playing with the other kids, but we have a great support system. My parents will 
take them overnight a couple times throughout the year so that way we can get some time to do us things and go to a concert when we're able so that's really cool cuz i always sort of hesitate to ask people that question because some people are very very lucky and they have really amazing family and friends that are supportive uh we were very lucky that our my family and um my ex-wife's family were very very supportive of the kids they still are prior to covid you know we got relatively frequent breaks you know, the kids would go spend the weekend or something at, at her parents' house or my parents' house. And we'd just have a couple of days where like we slept the first day just because sleep matters, I guess. <laughs> you can't go yes. too long without it. Uh, exactly. And then, you know, we would just have time to kind of recoup a little bit before we got back into the, the whole mix. So, so I feel very lucky that we, we have that. Uh, and there's a lot of people that you talk to that you know, their families have just, they don't get it. They don't have anything to do with the kids. They don't agree with the diagnosis and it creates kind of like that political tension you have at Thanksgiving or whatever, where you have people from different parties on one either side of the table and nobody wants to talk because no one wants to hear what the other person has to say. And you just get that kind of like tension in your family that, that ends up affecting your relationship. And uh, a lot of people lose friends and stuff like that because they don't get it. And um, so that's really, it feels good as a, as a dad to hear that you have such an awesome um, support system in your lives. That's, that's, that's good. It's very good. Yeah. I think the only person that really didn't at first kind of understand, and it's because of her generation was my grandma. Mm -hmm. Um, She lives uh, in a different state and she is in her mid eighties. And um, at first she's like, well, are you sure that's what this is? Well, yeah, I mean, that's what they say it is, Grandma. Um, But then as time went on, she actually started getting online and looking up what autism was and what this meant. And so when I, uh, because I'm 37 years old and still call my grandma uh, almost every week, Mm -hmm. and she'll... um, She'll be like, oh, I was was reading about this the other day online, or um, I was talking to somebody from church, and they have a kid who's autistic, and they do this. Does your kid do this? So it's it's really great to finally get to that point where, you know, she's understanding about it. And because at first she's like, "Why don't you come down here?" Well, I mean, you live in Kansas, and we live in Michigan, and I'll, that's a pretty far trip for any kid. Mm-hmm. And our kids don't like to drive forty five minutes, so. <laughs> There's times where I think, you know, maybe we should try and go down there. And then there's other times where I'm like, oh, we, uh, there's an organization here uh, that uh, we're a part of. And every year they do a walk. And then if you raise enough money, you get to go to uh, Great Wolf Lodge. This was the first year oh, that right. we participated. And we were hoping, okay, great, we can try this. Take them to Great Wolf Lodge and see how it goes. Um, and then with COVID, it ended up getting uh postponed for now but um when they were younger my grandfather died and we went uh down to ohio for the funeral and that was i mean it was awful anyway because you're there for something horribly sad and then with us it was just i guess a little bit worse because we're in a hotel the kids want to run around and jump and my oldest paces Mm. um quite a bit and so we're trying to keep him quiet and not stomping because we don't want to bother anybody. And then we're not at home and they keep asking home, 
home? When are we going home? You know, and then trying to get him to sit still. It was, they were out of their element. They were miserable the whole time we were there. Um, so we got home and we're like, oh, I don't know if we'll ever be able to go anywhere. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not laughing at Like I'm laughing because I can totally relate. I was just thinking, um, we used to, even something like, like all my family lives, my immediate family lives within, I don't know, 20 minutes of my house. And same thing with uh, my ex-in-laws live 10 minutes down the road when we would decide whether or not we're going to go over there for Christmas to, to any place for Christmas, we had to think like, Oh, like I know the kids are going to have fun, but like we're struggling already. They're going to be so overstimulated by the time they're done. And we would have to make decisions based on whether or not we would be able to deal with the fallout afterwards. And so, so there were times we would just, we just say like, man, we, we just can't, there's just no way we can do it because like we're, we're struggling right now they're going to be meltdowns for three or four days afterwards uh, as they kind of come down from that uh, overstimulation. And like, I just can't, you know, and we had to make decisions based on that sometimes. And it sort of sounds like you guys were kind of having to do sort of the same thing. We have a set of friends that they love to get together and um, they're, they're always like, just bring the kids, just bring them on down. And uh, well, uh, like 4th of July, for example, they, have a huge fourth of july party they'll shoot off fireworks and stuff and my both children cannot deal with fireworks they absolutely hate it even just to, even the silent ones they it just frightens them there's too much going on at the same time so they get overloaded so you know we will we told them well you know we're not really sure so we don't take them to things like that but then um they started uh, every now and then they'll give us a call and say, Hey, why don't you bring the kids down? It's just going to be us. You guys can bring the kids down. They can get to know us and um, they'll kind of give you guys some time to be adults, you know, so we'll go down and they'll have dinner and they're really great because they'll bring out, like they actually went out and got the, uh, um, all the squishy sand stuff. Oh, and moon, they'll sit out sand? there. I think it's moon yes. sand. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And they sat there and played with my kids to, to try to get them to know them better. So, because the hope is here in the next couple of months, which is probably the biggest scary thing going on right now, is we're going to move and it's going to be right next door to them. So, oh, wow. it'll be kind of great because we'll still have that support system there. Um, but kind of, kind of scared of moving them because my oldest, especially, he knows landmarks we'll start driving somewhere and if we start going towards Allegan, he'll know that's towards school and he'll get kind of edgy. Um, going to my parents' house, he knows if we go through the traffic light, that means we're going there. But if we start to pass there, starts to get a little edgy. So when we're coming home, same thing. If we pass the house, like we're going to go towards Grand Rapids instead of Kalamazoo, he gets, no, 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 that's not where we should be going. So we're kind of kind of scared about how that all is going to work out. But his teachers send us some uh, social stories and stuff to try to start reading that through with them. We're actually going to pay for an extra month here and at the new place. So that way we can hopefully ease them into it. Do they have a hard time with change? My oldest most definitely does. My youngest, he's 
a little more freewheeling with Mm it. Um, I think as he gets older, I'm kind of noticing uh, when we change things, he's a little more put off by it. Um, But my oldest most definitely does not really care for change. He likes things to go um, the way he knows. And that's why when we start going towards where his school's at, you know, no, we're not supposed to be doing this right now. It's not school time. And in order to get to Lake Michigan, we actually have to pass by his school. So we've learned that now we have to drive around quite a bit out of our way to avoid just so we can miss. Yes. Yep. So that way he doesn't realize or that way he doesn't think that we're going towards school. That is some special needs parenting right there. Yeah. I could so relate to so much of what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> my oldest, when he was little, we live right sort of by uh, 77, which doesn't run up to Michigan, but it runs almost all the way down to Florida. And right. uh, it, it sort of dead ends up at Lake Erie. If we were going, if we went north on 77, he was fine because there's all these different places that we could go. If we turn south on 77, there's only one place that we were going then and he would be, he, he didn't want to go <laughs> and, and it would be, he would get like really upset. And so, uh, even still, you know, 15, 20 years later, if we go south on 77, he's like, Oh, I remember when we used to go, you know, here. And I think he kind of assumed that every time we would go south, that's where we were going, even though there's a million other places we could be going. And if we went north, he assumed that it was going to be positive, even though north is to the doctor's office <laughs> and the dentist and every and everything, everything else. But they just sort of generalize and assume like if you're going this, this is where you're going because that's where you went the last time. Yeah, I think one of the most frustrating moments I've had as a special needs parent is there's a um, one of the old drive-in restaurants where they'll come out to your car, take your order, and whatnot. Like a Swenson's or something. Um, uh, it's called Corky's. It's uh, in Allegan. It's just a family-owned restaurant, and his school also is in Allegan. And it, they're on roughly the same road, and there's <laughs> only one way to get to Corky's. And so we were driving to go there one day, and we got outside of Otsego almost into Allegan, and he just starts screaming. And I'm like, okay, I, I can't do this to him. I, I mean, I really want a root beer float and a chili dog, <laughs> but I guess we're just going to, you know, turn around and go back home and stop at Culver's instead. Cause I just, I can't do this to him. And then it's, I was telling a, a friend at work that story and she's like, well, why didn't you just keep going? Eventually he has to get used to it. And I'm like, I get it, but there's just, there, there's battles that you pick and choose. Mm-hmm. And that's just one that I, I mean, I just wanted to root beer float. That's not worth making my kids scream and freak out about, even though we weren't going to school. And it, and it's not even that he was being difficult. It was that is that he was legit upset and and distressed. And so you're not caving in. It's um, trying to think of, it's sort of like uh, we used to, people used to tell me all the time. It's one of the most frustrating things that I've, I've dealt with is, Oh, if he's hungry, he'll eat. And, and I'm like, you don't like, you don't get it. Like it's, it isn't, it doesn't work that way. Like if I don't, if, if, if the chicken nugget isn't exactly the same shape as the other chicken nugget, he won't eat either one of them. And uh, they'll be like, oh, well, if you just leave him out there, if he's hungry enough, he's not going to starve. And I'm like, uh, he he will (laughs) because he won't 
you won't eat it. And, and so I would, you know, I'd be accused of like coddling him or, you know, you got to be a little tougher and teach him. And it just doesn't work that way. I mean, it might work that way for kids who are just picky eaters or, yeah. or kids who are just throwing a fit because they just don't want to go somewhere today or whatever. But it's a different thing when they have a very visceral reaction to going a certain direction or thinking they're going somewhere. You almost feel like you're traumatizing them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like at first it was just he would kind of sniffle and cry. And now it's like guttural screams. And it's like, I just can't put a, I can't put you through that. And B I'm getting annoyed. <laughs> so, you know, um, at some point it, it's also about you too. Cause you don't want to get yourself to the point where, you know, you just can't deal with it anymore, mm-hmm. you know, and then you start having a reaction to it. So, you know, um, I probably just like, Nope, we're just going to turn around and we'll, go elsewhere and you know culver's has good ice cream i guess so (laughs) swing through there can you prepare him ahead of time or is he not Um, quite there yet well we're kind of trying to work on that we actually started talking um a couple weeks ago about um with especially with covid going on he's never really sure where he's gonna be going so now we're talking about taking pictures of people he'll see through the day and put them by the door so we can tell him, okay, we're, you know, you're going to go to Nana's, then you're going to get on the bus, then you're going to go to school and see your teacher um, and see maybe if that kind of helps him out. Because he does, um, like if I get in the car with him and tell him, we're going to Nana's the whole way, going to Nana's, going to Nana's, yep, going to Nana's. Um, or if I tell him we're going to stop at the store not that we've taken them to the store lately because our kids won't wear masks Mm -hmm. so we don't want to expose we don't want to expose them and we don't want to expose other people in case they were to get something from us Mm because my wife's an optician i work in a nursing home so who knows what we could bring home you know but thank you by the way for being responsible i do appreciate that as a parent to someone with immunocompromised uh health issues so i just i appreciate that my way of thinking is, is I wouldn't want my grandma to get it, you know, so I'm not going to pass it on to anybody else. So I, we really try to stay home as much as possible. I think my kids are probably more locked down than we are because they go to my parents, they go to school, they come home. And, uh, you know, we have, uh, some responsible friends occasionally we'll take them there with us, but we don't want to expose them to anything that we don't have to, but at the same time, I don't want to have to deal with it when they're sick. (laughs) Because that's always a mess. Uh, they have to be right next to one of us, and most of the time sitting up. So then, you know, takes us out of our element and them theirs. So, when is the last time you did something like nice for yourself? Um, I'm a little more on my self care than my wife is. My wife, I keep telling her, "Oh, you need to go out." Like we just started, I think two weeks ago, where. Um, Wednesdays is the day that the boys don't have school and they go, so they go to therapy. So she'll go and do that. And then she brings them home and then she'll go out and go shopping or whatever. Cause that's her thing that mm-hmm. she likes to do. I have a good friend that I'll go down once a week and sit in his car and we'll usually chain smoke, which probably isn't all that healthy, but <laughs> mentally it's healthy because, yeah. you know, we just kind of talk about what's going on in each other's lives and, 
it kind of helps him understand my kids and it's somebody that I can also vent to at the same time. Um, I used to go to karaoke every weekend and that was my outlet. And then now with COVID, um, even if they did start having it again, I'm not going to go because I don't want to risk my kids or the elderly people that I work with. But at least once a week, I get out with my friends and do something, even if it's just going upstairs to my buddy's house and having a couple drinks and singing karaoke on YouTube. That's cool because it's so important. A lot of parents who are uh, sort of just starting off on this special needs parenting journey, they, and even parents in general, we, we kind of have this like, our kids come first no matter what kind of attitude because it just seems like it's the right thing to do. But if you don't put back into yourself, then eventually you're going to run out of things to give your kids. It's always good to hear when, when, when people are recognizing that like, like you guys do in your, in your, you know, prioritizing your own mental health. I mean, that's, that's so important. Like my kids drive me nuts. I mean, they just drive me crazy and it isn't just autism related stuff. It's their kids. It's their job. It's drive me crazy. Right. It's exactly. payback for what I did to my parents. <laughs> you know, it's, it's <laughs> karma. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if I, if I didn't laugh it off or like, if I, I started this podcast is one of the, one of the mental health kind of things is because it, it really is therapeutic for me to, uh, to talk to people. I, I've been writing for like 10 years and, and it just, I just sort of got burnt out on that. And, and this is kind of my me time, you know, talking to another dad who I don't have to explain myself to cause he gets it. And, yeah. uh, and that's, that's, that's so cool. It's why I kind of like going into these the way that I do because it, it kind of reminds me every time that there are people out there who get it and I'm not screening people before we go into this to make sure that they understand what I'm going through before we have the conversation, because sometimes they do. And sometimes there's, you know, situations are much, much different than mine, but there's still that understanding and that level of compassion that that's, I think sometimes hard to find in a general public uh, because they just, they just don't, the world is too fast paced to, to pay attention to a lot of the subtle things that autism parents have to focus on all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have friends who have um, autistic kids and they're still kind of resuming as life is normal. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so they don't understand why we kind of keep ourselves in. And on the other side, we don't understand why they um, go out as much. But, uh, you know, for them, I think, uh, you know, their kids need that getting out and doing things. So, you know, like try to go on hikes and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, but our kids home is kind of their their safe zone and part of me like i know that at some point we're going to have to try to get them out of that because realistically you can't just stay at home it's going to drive you and everybody else insane yep but for now it kind of works especially with the situation going on so we just kind of run with it i'm kind of worried about when it is safe to go out <laughs> My my kids have become, we started treating COVID very early on like it was a zombie apocalypse because like we used to do this stuff in Minecraft where we would start like a survival world, right? And then build up all this stuff. And then when we were ready, we'd release all the zombies and we would just have to survive. So we would try and think of the things that we needed, you know, you had to have, you know, iron and all that stuff to make tools and food store, you know, food stores and stuff like that. And so I, I thought, you know, rather than them freaking out about, you know, a deadly virus, let's look at it as a zombie apocalypse 
because they know what that is, right? They're not afraid of it, but they do understand that it needs to be taken seriously. I mean, it's crazy just even having that conversation, but, but, uh, you know, we started treating it like that. And so they understand that there's a virus, but we're just pretending that, you know, it's, so I guess, I guess the point is, is we've been doing this for, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's 331 days today. And I don't know what it's going to be like when we don't have to do it anymore. Are they going to be so locked in this stay away from people because you have to assume everybody is sick, can't go to school because there's, you know, it's, it's not safe to be in the classroom where we're at and, and things like that. Uh, to just going back to like, everything is okay. I don't, I don't know how they're going to, I don't know how I'm going to adjust to that. Do you kind of worry about, about that? I do for my oldest because the more that we stay home, the more that he remains comfortable. Um, well, my, my wife and I, we love to get out, especially like go to the zoo and stuff. And we took them a lot when they were um, younger. You know, we'd have memberships to the local zoos. And um, he he did okay um, around crowds. But I kind of worry about what it's going to be like when we finally can start going out. Because we went... We finally had enough and we took him up to John Ball Zoo this summer and, um, you know, made sure that they stayed as covered as they would stay and that they stayed in their stroller and tried to control it that way. And they actually did a pretty good job there of keeping people six foot away and made sure everybody that could wear masks. Um, but my oldest, like I could tell when we left, he's like, okay, I'm, I'm, glad we're in the car i can't i can't do this anymore so i kind of worry about what he's going to be like my youngest he just kind of rolls with it for the most part that's cool this was such a cool conversation because i can i can relate it's not exactly the same you know what i mean but like it's it's enough that like oh man i laugh because i know what it's like to go through that and it and it's there's like right. this sort of release that you have when you realize you're not the only person who has had to deal with you know, driving all the way, you know, 10 miles out of the way, just so that you don't have to pass this landmark that they're going to assume yes. is problematic. Um, right. And it's just one of those things you just, you just learn to do. You got to think outside the box. You got to uh, be flexible and adaptive. And you guys sound like you're doing an amazing job. Thanks. <laughs> you have a really good attitude about everything. And I think it's, I think it's important that you laugh you know, and, and, and take time for yourself and your wife takes time for herself. And I mean, that that's so important. And so many people lose sight of that, I think. And, uh, I think people listening, you know, this is really a good example of, of how, you know, not only take COVID seriously because we need to take COVID seriously, but to how, how to navigate some of these challenges in, in creative ways so that you don't lose your mind. I, I mean, I, I, I find humor in almost everything because if I didn't, I'm pretty sure I'd have had a stroke by now. <laughs> right. <know? laughs> and, and, uh, I don't, I don't think I feel that stressed out most of the time, nor because I, I just, I just kind of roll with it. it it's not, if it's not going to be the way that I want it, you know what? It's not gonna be the way that I want it. it we just, I mean, getting all bent out of shape and stressed out and it's not going to make anything easier. So, you know, it's a good attitude. Yeah. Yeah. I think I finally got to that point. I, uh, I struggle with depression and anxiety quite a bit to the so point I. where um, I started getting shingles uh, every hmm. year right around my eye because I would just let things bother me so much that boom, there would, there it would go. Um, and I think I finally to a point where I'm just like, ah, it's, you know, shit's going to happen. That's 
that's all there is to it, especially yep. with this COVID thing going on. I think that's in an odd enough way kind of helped me uh, kind of work through all that. Like, okay, there's, I have no control over anything anymore. So we just need to roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> that's hard to do is, is recognize that you don't, you don't have control over everything. I, yeah. my weird, the one weird thing that I, well, I have lots of weird things, but the one weird thing in related relation to that is I, we have, uh, my kids and I have these Minecraft realms so we can all play together. And, and I am very like super anal about the way things are done in this one world, because that's like my happy place. Everything has to line up. I like everything to be kind of like, because it's the one thing in my life that I have total control over. And, yeah. and I want it to be clean. You know, I want it to, to look nice because I can't keep up with my house, but my house in Minecraft sure as hell is going to be, you know, organized and, and, you know, whatever. And, and eventually my kids, my kids get so frustrated because they come in and they just start making it their own. And then I end up just starting a new realm, like, you know, backing it up and then just starting something new because it got chaotic and I can't, I can't deal with that. Uh, so now we just have one where we can all do whatever we want. And one that if you're going to play, you're either going to build your nonsense, like way somewhere else. And, uh, and, and I can just kind of keep my little organized, little happy place. Um, but yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, do you have any advice for, for parents out there who may be, new to this or even people who've been out there for a while. Cause I've learned a lot from you. So, um, any kind of parting advice before we close this out? Oh man, I've listened to you ask this question of so many other people and still <laughs> don't have an answer for it. Um, I guess the biggest thing is just, just kind of roll with it and, and look for those little tiny moments that bring joy. Like every time my oldest says, daddy, I just freak out because He's finally saying it and he realizes who I am. You know, I'll come, I'll get to my parents' house to pick him up. And my mom and dad will tell me how he, he gets off the bus now and he goes, daddy. And they're like, nope, nope. He's, he's not coming home yet. Papa. Yep. Papa's inside, you know, so he'll go inside and, and he's kind of realized when I should be home. So he'll start asking. So just look for those small moments that, bring joy and make you feel like an awesome parent. Like, you know, yes, he's just saying daddy and, and yes, he knows I should be home at that time, but that's amazing to me that he's finally getting there. I think that's one of the things that, that my kids have taught me over the years is to appreciate the things that most people don't pay attention to or take for granted. Yeah. And, uh, that's really good advice, Eric, really good advice. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really funny because people are like, Oh, I'm so sorry that you have kids that are autistic and can't do this and that. And I'm like, actually, I think it's kind of cool because my son could talk when he was two and then he stopped and then he started again. So I got the first word twice. So you can feel bad all you want, but I get all the firsts twice. So that's, that's cool. all right with me. Very, very cool. I, I really, well, I really enjoyed this conversation. You're, you're such a happy guy. And <laughs> And, uh, you got, you can't see, you got like a really, is that a, are like, you talking about my shirt? Yeah. It's like a Hawaiian. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, like I said, I'm an activity director at my nursing home and I wear all sorts of goofy outfits and 
like the one thing Fun I stuff. asked for for Christmas this year was a kilt. So, and I finally got one, you know, so, um, I'll wear just about anything to make people smile and laugh. And it's, yeah, it's great. Very, very cool, man. Well, you guys take care, uh, stay safe, keep doing what you're doing. You guys are, you guys are an inspiration. I think you guys are role models. Myself and role model in the same sentence. <laughs> same thing. I, I, uh, yeah, I, I always feel like I'm doing a terrible job, but to the rest of the world, it seems like I'm, I'm doing much better than that. And so I've learned to just kind of squash out that sort of self-doubt that I have a lot of times and just kind of exactly. roll with what other people think. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm brutally honest with everything that I share. So if, if they see that and they think, Oh, you did a pretty good job, then maybe I did a pretty good job. So you seem like you're doing a great job. I hope all the dads out there, especially that are listening to this, maybe this inspires you guys to, to want to come on and, and talk about your life so we can all kind of, you know, have people that, that we can relate to. I think that's important for dads. Exactly. We'll have to touch base again and, and see how you guys are doing maybe after your move and, and go from there. So we'll be in touch. Awesome. Stay safe. I don't know what day it is. Again, it's Wednesday. For always Friday. I can say have a great weekend. And it actually fits. I always say have a great weekend. And it's sometimes it's a Monday. And then it sounds really stupid. But yeah, take care, man. Thanks. Same to you. All right. We'll see you. Yeah. Have a good one. Bye. Before I close things out today, I just want to say thank you to Eric for taking the time to come on the show and talk about his life. Share with us his, his experiences and his journey. I think it's really, really important that we do this, guys. Especially for dads. Because dads just don't seem to want to talk very often. And I think it's really important uh, that we do that. And I appreciate Eric being an example and, and a role model and, and helping to reach people who maybe feel isolated or need validation for what they're going through or just need to know that they're not alone. So thank you, Eric. I really, really appreciate that. I think you're a fantastic dad. I'm, I'm honored that you were here and I, I, I hope to stay in touch with you as we go forward. If you are an autism dad or a mom or a sibling or a grandparent or maybe an autistic person yourself and you'd like to come on and talk about your life and share your journey and provide insights to people out there and and just kind of have your voice heard, I would be honored to have you on the show. You can reach out to me at theautismdad.com. My social links are there. You can hit me up there or my contact page. I even think there's a link in the show notes below where you can send me an email and, and we'll uh, we'll get in touch. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. You can do so on any one of your favorite podcast listening apps. I uh, just hit that subscribe button. If you haven't also, if you could please take a minute and rate the podcast, I would really appreciate that. It helps me to grow and kind of learn what I'm doing right and doing wrong. So stay safe guys. Have a great weekend and I will talk to you next Friday. Thanks. Bye. Autistic kids can sometimes struggle to learn new skills such as riding a bike, reading, or simply having a conversation to a high level of proficiency and automaticity. Brainiac is a brain enhancement program that gets to the root of the problem. It builds stronger brain and body connections that elevate learning capacity within four to six months. Brainiac cross-trains motor movement, visual, auditory, and cognitive thinking connections using fun, interactive video games. Strengthened connections allow kids to learn new skills and perform them automatically with more confidence and greater independence. Brainiac is for homes and schools. Visit canoe.com, that's K-I-N-U-U dot com, and be sure to use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save $500. It's a limited time offer and it will expire on May 31st.